Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. So we just did a big podcast uh, while Robbie's up or down in LA, rather, um, just about all the updates that are going on, all the headlines. And we said that we were going to do one specifically on Iran, even though the protests look like they're waning already. So we just wanted to do that today, just just give you a quick update on you know our thoughts, what's happening, break through the propaganda a little bit, and give a little bit of context to what's going on. Anything you want to say before I launch right into it, Rob? Yeah, I mean, as we know, Iran has been in the crosshairs of the neocons and the military-industrial complex and the D.C. foreign policy establishment for as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, when when we went into Iraq, it almost seemed like the natural progression of events was going to be that we would next invade or overthrow the government of Iran. That's what it seemed like was going to happen during the Bush era. Luckily, that didn't happen. But during the Obama era, there was more pushes in that direction where um, the Green Revolution happened um, during the Arab Spring. Uh, there were massive protests in Iran, and it seemed as if um, it could, you know, the country could have actually um, gotten so chaotic that they would have, you know, potentially done regime change there. Luckily, that didn't happen then either. Um, but even Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, um, she said, we're going to obliterate Iran. Yeah, she said something about if Iran did something to Israel, Israel. would you obliterate them? I think when she was a presidential candidate. But then when she was in office, she was designating the um, Revolutionary Guard in Iran as a terrorist organization, um, which was a pretty drastic move. And then also there was talk during the Obama administration of doing a, alluding to doing a first nuclear strike on Iran um, using like a bunker buster nuke to like take out like there are some like nuclear facilities or something. And then of course we know during the Obama administration also, this is something we're going to go into later in the podcast is that MEK, a, um, uh, you know, a quote unquote terrorist group that was, um, that's like a defectors from Iran. Um, they or, or sorry, defectors from they're disloyal to the Iranian government, but they're supported by many American politicians and also the Mossad and the CIA who jointly work together with them to not only assassinate Iranian nuclear scientists uh, during the Obama administration, but also to implement Stuxnet, a virus, a computer virus, essentially that um, gets into hardware systems and can disrupt the functions of hardware. So in this specific case, Stuxnet was used to disrupt their uranium centrifuging process so that they couldn't basically use any nuclear fuel for their nuclear power plants, even though we said we did it to disrupt their nuclear bomb program. So those are all things that happened. Um, And, you know, so anytime a protest happens in Iran that gets this much press in the United States, it's always worrisome for me because, you know, I mean, we all know how that's going to be used here to try to inflame things and then also to try to just increase hostilities and this idea that, you know, the human rights are so horrible in Iran. We're morally superior because we have good human rights. Therefore, we need to support their people into overthrowing their government. But yet, you know, you'll never see anybody talking about how we need to support the Saudi Arabian people into overthrowing their government, even though they also are under sort of what people call like a theocratic government where you're not allowed to do certain things based on certain religious rules and so forth. So, 
it's very hypocritical and selective and that's blatantly obvious but there's also a lot of other dangers that can come out of this because it essentially gives the neoconservative war engine an in perfect in to do this and we've seen signs um since trump has been in office that this is a pivot that they're making towards iran iran you know was pretty much on the back burner after the nuclear deal that obama made with the uh, iranian uh, government um they kind of kind of took a back seat and then all of a sudden when trump gets back in office it's now all about hezbollah iran funding the syrian you know funding the helping assad and all this stuff and it's now now they're sort of presented and trump has already said that they are the biggest state sponsor of terror in the world and they're presented almost as if they're like a world power now like they have all this power and influence because they're involved in the conflict in syria that they're involved in um different little microcosms around the world like yemen like apparently you know they're involved somehow in some of the with some of the houthi rebels in yemen therefore now they're presented as this big giant specter this world power that's meddling in all these middle eastern countries and we can't let them have any power you know almost kind of an echo of how the entire iraqi insurgency was being fueled by iran when we were younger i mean that's what the propaganda was during the iraq war it always comes back to iran because that's the prize for israel saudi arabia and the u.s so all these different proxy wars um really the end goal is uh, overthrowing the Iranian regime. And that has been for a long, long time. Uh, going back to the Bush administration, like my brother said, this was part of the initial axis of evil. Um, so it's been kind of in the shadows this whole time. We knew that it was come, going to come to a head. Like he said, the 2009 Green Movement was was the first push. Um, and now it's coming back again. And of course, everyone just, just seizes these opportunities to foment and push uh, their agenda, especially the neoconservatives. Let me explain really quickly the chronology of, of how this is happening. Um, thousands of people have taken to the streets, but when you put in the context of the 2009 movement, that was millions of people. So we don't know um, how many people have taken to the streets, how many protests and you know, and, and, and exactly what cities. So we'll do the best that we can kind of going over this, but we do know thousands of people in multiple cities and and the voicing of frustrations over multiple things, the clerical rule, stagnating economy, um, and a lot of it has to do with Iran's foreign policy. And when I say that, it, it kind of comes back to this nationalist mantra where people are seen chanting, we don't want to die for like Gaza or, or Lebanon, we want to die for Iran. So there's a kind of like a lot of chauvinistic, weird nationalist rhetoric coming out of this that's actually opposing Arabs, saying we, we don't want to die for Arabs. We don't want to die for Arabs. So that's just kind of a side note um, on kind of the progressive or lacking progressive people, nature of this of these protests. Just really quick to mention, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that Iranians are mostly non-Arab. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see videos of Iranians, if you've seen pictures, they look, they most of them are Aryan and not saying in, in, in sort of the neo-Nazi meaning. I mean, in the classic sense, that the Persian Empire um, were generally Aryan. They look white. Um, they have blue eyes, a lot of them. Um, so it's it's definitely not what you would think. If you just don't have any education about Iran, you should look into it because it's it's they don't actually don't even speak Arabic. 
So it's, it, I mean, most people there do not, they speak Farsi. Mm -hmm. So it has a very different culture than you might imagine if you're just sort of looking at it through the lens of, oh, they're just another Middle Eastern country. Everybody there's Arab, everybody there speaks Arabic. It's not the case at all. Yeah, it's a very complicated, very sophisticated culture um, that has a very complex history. <clears throat> so far, more than 20 people have been killed. I know at least one of those people was a police officer that was killed by the protesters because like Venezuela, you're seeing kind of the same rhetoric and propaganda coming out of the country um, and just completely unvalidated being echoed through mainstream media yeah. and also just commentators. So you're seeing, you know, massive protests that also are pro-government protests and also the death toll that you see parroted around, not mentioning how some of these people actually are also state of state forces and police officers. Of course. And I don't want to harp too much on this because we don't really know specifically um, what, like how many attacks on police stations, banks, mosques, et cetera. But we do know that there is a violent characteristic, just like Venezuela to these protests, at least some of them, um, attacks overtly on police stations, police vehicles. So the Iranian government initially threatened like a major crackdown, um, largely restrained thus far. I mean, I wouldn't call 500 arrests restrained, but at the same time, like, it's not like, you know, there's been massive bloodletting on the streets, um, in the sense that the U.S. press was kind of painting it to be. Of course so, not. No. <clears throat> I mean, and even, uh, you know, there was even, seemed like pro deliberate provocation. So there were those instances of a mosque being set on fire, a police station being attacked by quote-unquote armed protesters. It was really funny to see the U.S. press calling them armed protesters. <laughs> you know, and if someone, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, the characterization of that is hilarious to me. If someone did that here, they would be instantly be called a terrorist or a murderer or a mass shooter or something. Um, or militant or something like that. Um, but so the, so that one in a couple of those instances, one of them where the police station was set on fire and then when their mosque was, you could actually see videos of people on the ground in Iran who aren't taking the side of super pro Iranian government, but also aren't, you know, pro all the protests because they're showing how a lot of the protesters are actually just sort of standing around looking like upset at these other groups of more Just militant like protesters, <laughs> yeah, who are burning down a mosque and things like that. So there's not like, you can't oversimplify yeah. this and see it all through this cartoonish lens of there's this uprising happening there. People are overthrowing the government. They're tired of the government. There are many gradations and different people in Iran who are disenfranchised to different degrees, including even people like you said, who like are anti-Arab, who are even... Um, you know, anti the current president because he's not hardline enough. Right. It's like this is not a simple, clear cut thing uh, uh, of this is the Iranian, like the liberalism in Iran sort of coming up to a boil because they're sick of being like they're having their human rights taken away or they're like repressed. That's not necessarily at all. It just it just shows you how oversimplistic these sort of Western, you know, narratives are. And yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and you know we we've, we've already seen, um, and I don't know if you want to go into this now, but that like that people are already posting like viral content showing the protests that are blatantly fake or out mm -hmm. of context images. So someone showed a giant sea of people, you know, look like it looked like hundreds of thousands of people protesting the streets, um, and from a viral MAGA account that had like a hundred thousand followers saying that it was Iranian protest now when it was actually Bahrain in two thousand nine. Um, another video or, or viral photo is making the rounds um, right now showing a woman in a hijab kicking 
what looks like a line of like militant riot police with like riot shields. Um, again, um, not that that's a photoshopped or fake photo, but it's actually taken from a fictional film. It is not a documentary, nor is it news footage. Right. So it's very odd how easily this stuff goes viral. Actually, some of the most famous images you're seeing from these protests right now are fake or out of context, including the most famous one that some <laughs> asshole moron, probably some think tank or NGO already made a little animated GIF cartoon out of, of the woman taking her job off and holding it in the st mm -hmm. on a stick. Guess what? That was actually from before the protest started, had nothing to do with them and was in response to a press release released by the Iranian government saying that they were not currently going to enforce the dress code. And all these like pro regime change people have been trying to claim that that's fake news now to like counter then that narrative. But it's actually undeniable, even if that you don't believe that narrative, I just told you that it was in response to that law change. Um, that photograph was still taken from before the protests. Right. And so it all these people are saying if, Paul Joseph Watson and all these conservative assholes are like, oh, like women can be um, put set on fire. Or like killed for for yeah. not wearing the hijab, and it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Are you seriously this dumb, or are you just like purposefully parroting this? I stuff? think he's a total neocon fucking puppet. Because police, I mean, police in Iran's capital said that they would no longer arrest women for wearing for failing to observe the Islamic dress code. Like you're saying, this happened in December. Mm -hmm. um, this dress code has been in place. Yeah, this this dress code's been in place since the 1979 revolution. Um, and it is fucked up. Of course it's fucked up. It's like anyone who's affiliated with press TV knows how frustrating it is that like you can't get shots if like people are wearing shorts in the background. I mean, it. Um, but at the same time, it's an, it's outrageous to, to claim that like this is in place today and somehow has anything to do with the protests. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's just blatantly false. But right. yet morons like Jack Posobiec, Mike mm -hmm. Cernovich. Paul Joseph Watson, who, if you haven't realized it yet, are fucking straight up neocon Aaron boys. If you haven't woken up to this fact yet and you still think these characters are fighting the deep state, you need to seriously fucking educate yourself on what's going on. Because being pro-Iranian regime change and being like pro this neocon propaganda and spreading around these little memes of like people taking off their hijabs and acting like it's legitimate. Like you care about Yeah, feminists. like you actually yeah. care it is ne it is literal neocon concern trolling like let me talk about what what trump said and what rohani said um in light of these protests trump responded initially in his first tweet of the year one of his first first tweets of the new year writing quote iran is failing at every le level despite the terrible deal made with them by the obama administration the great iranian people have been repressed for many years they are hungry for food and for freedom this is a trump along, tweet you're reading along, right now. yeah along with human rights the wealth of iran is being looted time for change trump tweeted uh, meanwhile the iranian president rouhani rebuffed his comments he said this man, Donald Trump in America, who today wants to sympathize with our people, has forgotten that just a few months ago he labeled the Iranian nation a terrorist nation. This person who is against the Iranian nation to his core, he wants to feel sorry for Iranians? There's a question here. It's open to suspicion. And then Trump tweeted, the people of Iran are finally acting against the brutal and corrupt Iranian regime. All of the money that Obama so foolishly gave them went into terrorism and into their pockets. Again, repeating these these absurd tropes that people have little food. You know, we know that there's there's not like a mass starvation taking place in Iran. Just like, you know, it's like just totally amplified in Venezuela too. Like people are eating dogs in the street. I mean, you can say anything um, and people just lap it up. 
Um, so he says the people have little food, big inflation and no human rights. The U.S. is watching. So, again, just to get this out of the way, the the two billion or whatever that Obama administration gave to Iran was literally money that was owed that they had paid us back um, back in 1979. About the Iran deal. Yeah, it was like yeah. for military equipment. And we had just like been we'd seize their assets and we were just like letting it sit there. So they're it was just to, so babyish. They're trying to rewrite history now and make it seem like that the Iranians were basically just bribed with like tons of cash. We just handed them over tons of cash to bribe them. And they're also, they basically want to repeal the Iran deal. And if you really want to talk about Zionist influence in the Trump campaign and in the presidency, I think this is one of the key areas when you can really show that it's directly influenced by like his Zionist handlers and funders like Sheldon Adelson. Yeah, of course. Because when he spoke at APAC, remember how there was this like people were waiting with bated breath to see what he was going to do at APAC because up until then it seemed like he was like anti-establishment even yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. to me. I was like, that's really crazy that what is he going to say to APAC, you know? Um, and it turns out the thing that he said that they liked the most at APAC was this Iran deal. It's terrible. It's the worst deal ever made. I mean, he got a standing ovation when he talked about the Iran deal and like rejecting it and talking about it the same way he talks about all these other shitty deals mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. like, you know, dealing deals with Mexico and how make them pay and all that stuff. He talked about the Iran deal like that and people at APAC fucking loved it. Huge standing ovation. Bannon in this weird, you know, Michael Wolf book that we don't really know what to think about yet is actually also saying that Sheldon Adelson was the reason why Trump went and spoke at APAC. The Jerusalem embassy yeah. move. The Iran deal, like all these things come from Sheldon Adelson, who's a huge fucking, he's a billionaire Zionist, right? Um, so it's this really all, we, we, we've already seen creeping movements being made to like reverse the, you know, as much as you hate Obama, as much as we hate Obama, that was one of the good things that he did was trying to re like normalize relations with Iran, make this deal make it so that the Iranian government doesn't feel compelled to make a nuclear weapon, um, which takes almost completely away the pretext for needing to go to war with them. So it removes sort of that neocon excuse of, well, they have a nuke, so we need to take them out mm -hmm. or they're going to build a nuke. So now that that's not there, we're starting to see all these other excuses sort of spilling in from all the other sides because it's like they always need a pretext or a reason to put us on this hostile footing or war, almost like war footing with Iran and without the nuke there, well, then it's about how we they got bribed and it's about, yeah. you know, there's all these things we're about to, we're going to go into more of them, but there's new propaganda basically coming out and it was leading up to this protest in a way that I find very suspicious to the point where to question if there's any psyops going on or if there's any astroturf protests going on or if it's being the flames of these protests are being stoked by outside meddling forces like the CIA or MEK. Well, that's the most interesting thing about it is that it was started, like you said before, about like more hardline um, religious people, like more conservatives who actually don't like the reformist vision of Rouhani. They like the more Ahmadinejad, more hardline. And that's where that's literally where it started. So I'm not going to like opine on on how the protests progressed and what the actual like basis of them are. I think that we need to defer to actually Iranians, people who are steeped in Iran civil society to understand because there's so many different things. People are saying, you know, economic hardships, youth unemployment is at 30 percent. 
Um, but when you're looking at a capitalist country, like all other capitalist countries in the world right now, there is a huge gap between the rich and poor. It's growing all the time. And when people point to austerity measures like Rouhani has been doing, of course, you're going to see this gap widen. And of course, you're going to see massive disillusionment and discontent with the system. So I think that that's just a commonality with within capitalism. But I think that we should defer to Iranians themselves because there's so many conflicting accounts, whether it's you know, economic deprivation or agitation against greater political rights or whatever. Um, but I think that uh, two people that I can recommend really quickly, um, one guy named Mazda Mahidi, he wrote an excellent article on PSL on liberationnews.com. And it's just excellent. I mean, he just like really lays down the facts. He was a, a radical who was actually ousted um, during the Shah, I think. Um, he, he fled here. So he, he's a socialist. And so he's just giving a really astute analysis as a actual progressive looking at the society, not like being in line with the religious, um, state of it, but he's just like, don't fuck with my government. Like I, like the U S should not be involved in this at all, like hands off Iran. But he was just saying, um, you know, it just is very interesting that it always comes down to this like deduction and very simplistic framework of this dictatorial regime versus the suffering people. And this is a formula that's utilized to demonize everyone, every foreign government, and basically lay the groundwork for sanctions and everything else, re regime change, war, assassinations, everything. Um, but it, what he's pointing out is this has nothing in common with how we should be analyzing this, which is like looking at class consciousness, looking at these situations in a non-Sam Harris view, like looking at how these things um, grow and evolve in society. Like I was just saying, like how has Iranian society um, basically just dealt with, with capitalism and this whole austerity shit in the last 10 years. So anyway, check out his article. It's really great. It just goes more into the minutia about like, you know, the, the cost of things, inflation, unemployment and how these things have proliferated in the country. So yeah. he's saying that there's not a clear organized leadership or political demands. So going back to what you said, have these protests been infiltrated? I think that um, even the Iranian Revolutionary Guards said the MEK, the group that you mentioned before, along with the U.S. and Israel, have fomented and exacerbated the protests already. They're already saying that. Today, they're saying that they have already defeated the protests and that they've waned. Well, even, and even, okay, let's just even just boil this down to, let's say there are no actual on the ground, like meddling forces or psyops happening, and it's all organic, even including the militant attacks. Like, let's say that those are organic. You could still even argue that sort of the neocon propaganda coming out of the U.S. media is a psyop in and of itself because it's encouraging like regime change overthrow. Even that Lawfare blog post by that one guy. Oh, my God. Um, there's literally a neocon who's advocating for improvised explosive yeah. use to be used against police in Iran by the protesters. So within like days of the protest, it would be imagine yeah. Putin like saying that we should send yeah. improvised explosives to occupy Wall Street protesters. Yeah. So. It's the most disturbing I mean, range logic. So in terms of like the way a PSYOP is conducted, that is one way to do it. Just generally speaking, to have people going into the media and su making suggestions that Iranian people might actually take up or even groups like MEK, they don't necessarily have to be paid and hired to go out and do something. They might just do something based on suggestions they're hearing from their neocon paymasters and like people like in. So it's like PSYOPs to me can mean a lot of different things and that's and even if you don't believe that there are foreign 
force is meddling in these protests already. They are meddling in the sense that they're putting out information like this and encouraging people with giant media apparatuses to inflame the protests. And they're destroying the nuance and the reality on the ground by not talking about the fact that a lot of Iranian protesters who are protesting don't want militant actions. They don't want regime change. Like they don't want their president to be overthrown by a foreign force. I mean, that's the last thing they want. You know, if you actually talk to most of the actual protesters on the ground, they would probably be saying death to America also. Mm-hmm. That's the funny mm-hmm. part. It's like, no, they don't want fucking, I mean, they, you know, they hate, they still hate the Israeli government, the American government way more than the government yeah, they, they're Iran not, they're protesting they against. They know get where the sanctions have head. come through. Yeah, <laughs> get it from. through your fucking head, man. <laughs> like, come on. And it's so funny too, because there's even like neoliberals and like vice people and, you know, people kind of going around saying right now that this Iran deal was kind of a bribe and that that's part of why the Iranian people like don't like what Obama did because he like basically like gave hand jobs to the government and gave them all this free money and made them more corrupt, um, which just seemed is incredulous to me. I just c- simply cannot believe that Iranians on the ground are thinking about things that way. Um, if you can find me some who are talking about things that way, sure, let's let's hear from them. Um, but it just, again, seems like a total distortion of what people actually think over there. Um, but I wanted to go into just a little bit of the chronology of sort of leading up to this, like the very recent chronology, just be, to re- emphasize why I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I don't think it sounds like Alex Jones. I don't think it's paranoid. I don't think it's wacky to suggest that this this was sort of it seemed like this was sort of being planned. And but what I want to not not saying the protests have, were being planned, but regime change in Iran and a war footing and sort of a build up to like not just reversing the Iran deal, which for some reason hasn't been reversed yet by the Trump administration, it's still in place, but the rhetoric has been like crazily heating up in the last few months. Um, Can I jump in here before you go into the chronology? Yeah, because sure. this is before that all happened. June 7th. And the, and again, Trump was, during the campaign, we didn't know how much he was going to really go down on Iran because he was saying so much crazy shit and all these different mm-hmm. deals and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But now, but immediately it, after the, the APAC speech, we we knew the Iran deal was going to be like number one Yeah. Um, because we knew who was really puppeting this guy. This statement, after the parliament in Iran got attacked by ISIS... Remember back in June, and this is when already the the Muslim ban toying around with all this stuff. Yeah, over the summer. This was the statement by the Trump administration to the Iranian government. Oh, wow. I forgot all about that. Wow. Yeah. Here's the statement. We grieve and pray for the innocent victims of the terrorist attacks in Iran and for the Iranian people who are going through such challenging times. We underscore that states that sponsor terrorism risk falling victim to the evil they promote. Wow. Again, going back to that babyish evil empire, um, evil regime, axis of evil. But what do you think the Iranian government? Let's just be real here. <laughs> if you were the Iranian government and you got a, your parliament got attacked by ISIS, who would you think fucking did it? <laughs> Sorry, my number one go to would be Saudi Arabia is attacking us, or fucking the Mossad. It's just so or weird that, that this is not the one time ISIS, ISIS the one attack? time atta- ISIS attacked Israel they like apologized for it. This is that's so weird. I forgot all about that, but I honestly feel like I'm not saying that Saudi Arabia did it, but if I was the Iranian government, 
I would be looking at them from all those different angles and thinking like, holy shit, is Saudi Arabia trying to draw us into a proxy war? Because what I'm about to go into um, is that they are. Saudi Arabia is <laughs> using us right. also. So on July 27th, right after that, a month after that, Nikki Haley pressures the UN to punish Hezbollah because of their involvement in the um, the, basically the Saudi Arabian U.S. massacre happening in Yemen because apparently Hezbollah is working with the Houthi rebels in Yemen who are fighting off, you know, a massive Saudi Arabian military assault. Um, this was in July 27th, 2017. A few months later, uh, the CIA director, Mike Pompeo, he lashes out at Iran few months after this supposed ISIS terrorist attack in Iran and compares it to ISIS. He compares sort of the Iranian government and the Revolutionary Guard to ISIS. <laughs> um, and this is after, you know, when Trump got in, Mike Pence, the whole administration said they're putting Iran on notice. This is like a year ago. Putting you guys in the corner. Yeah. But so, and this is just a little bit of a buildup I'm going over right now. So then in November, about a month later, November 3rd, 2017, um, U.S. calls for U.N. action against Iran over Yemen missile. So they put out a press release basically to the U.N. accusing Iran of launching missiles at Saudi Arabia. Right? Yeah. Using Hezbollah as a proxy. Um, on November 8th, there was actually a really good uh, article in The Atlantic which honed in on the theory that you and I were discussing a few episodes ago on Media Roots that what were the, what was the purpose of those Bin Laden files, that leak, mm-hmm. that release, that big dump? Remember how much stuff there was in there about Iran? Yeah. And so this guy from The Atlantic actually kind of speculates the same thing. He, his headline is, Why Mike Pompeo Released More Bin Laden Files, The CIA Director is Intent on Drawing Connections Between Al-Qaeda and Iran. But to what end? Um, well, good, they have to back question. up their whole Great question. top sponsor of terror somewhere. Exactly, I right? Mean, so this is on November 8th. This is written up in the Atlantic. So sometime around November is when these files were dumped. Mm. Um, maybe it was a little before that. But so someone in the Atlantic was already kind of speculating that that's the reason why they released them. Um, December 3rd, 2017. Uh, 12 members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard have been killed in an Israeli airstrike over Syria, according to an Arabic media channel. Um, <laughs> this is from the Daily Mail, uh, and I'm going to continue with what it says in the Daily Mail. While there has been no official confirmation of the fatalities from either Syria or Iran, the names of those killed were reported on a messaging app connected to the Iranian military, according to Lebanon's al Mustapi TV and Saudi-owned Al-Arabia Network. Um, and just just a quick aside here, just uh, Saudi Arabia's All Arabia Network is also apparently the same network that aired the um, Palestinian claim of responsibility for 9-11 wow. attacks on the day of the attacks, allegedly. Um, a few, about two weeks later, on December 14th, Nikki Haley does her Hezbollah missile presentation where she actually uses a prop of what she claims is a an expended missile like rocket shell uh, with the unprovable assertion that it was an Iranian missile given to Hezbollah 
and then given to the Houthi rebels in Yemen to fire at Saudi Arabia. She literally stood in front of fragments and pieces of this missile. Just that like was Colin so Powell. weird. Yeah. And so the Iranian president um, responded on Twitter by showing a picture of her standing in front of the missile talking next to Colin Powell holding up the vial of anthrax at the UN in 2003. I mean, because I'm sorry, but once again, um, this seems like obvious just laying the seeds, you know, laying little breadcrumbs down for a, a, a ramp up to a potential war with Iran. I mean, I, I hate to say that that might be on the table here, but why else are they doing this right now? Are they just trying to create PR to reverse the deal? I, I don't know. Um, uh, but on December 17th, a few days later, uh, there was this bizarre article in Politico that was like, multiple pages long, maybe like seven or eight pages long, extremely in-depth, obviously gotten from a uh, Trump-loyal FBI source, two sources, all about how Obama looked the other way during his administration and allowed a Hezbollah cocaine trafficking ring <laughs> to smuggle drugs into our country because we were hands-off Hezbollah in order to make the Iran deal go smoothly, which if that's all true... Fuck yeah. Another good thing Obama yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Makes it great. Wow, I'm liking Obama yeah. more and more. Fuck every the day. DEA. <laughs> I'm glad he like fucking like um Fuck the went EU. above the DEA and like made the DEA just like like be just like holding their dicks in the wind and like yeah. not be able to do anything. Like I mean I'm I mean if this I mean I didn't read the entire article, but like if this is true, it's not even bad. And that the fact that this is coming out now around this same buildup and it's so in depth and it's almost and in my opinion, I feel like this is influencing a lot of like leftists and liberals too. I saw them spreading around this article as if it made Obama look bad as That's well insane. for other reasons. Like that almost like once again, he's just like bribing Hezbollah and Iranian <laughs> government, you know. Um it's it's interesting. Um, but it also does link together with like narco trafficking stuff. Just the idea that, you know, the government would be allowing or looking the other way for a cocaine trafficking operation is very interesting in and of itself. But again, the article is just all about how Hezbollah is one of the biggest terror groups in the world, how um, they're, you know, how they're evil, how they murder civilians. I mean, just all this kind of shit in the article. So it's just almost like a primer on why you should think Hezbollah is this gigantic terrorist organization, even though they have an elected, they have elected representatives in, in Lebanon. Lebanese yeah. government yeah. right now. Um, so that was on December 17th, uh, just a few weeks ago. FYI, I just saw how hilarious it is that Emron Faroz was the one who promoted that picture from the movie and said, Iran. Oh, and, and then he refused he to take it out. down. He refused to take it down. He was like, he was like, I stand by it. He was like, of course it's from a movie. And then everyone's just responding. They're like showing like Bruce Lee doing like a drop kick and being like Iran. <laughs> who, is, who is that guy again? I don't, I'm not, I saw that, that he posted. Well, he's a guy he that did really good work. Like in Afghanistan, he would go around Yikes. and like report on drone strikes Whoa, and stuff. But then yeah. he became very hard line against Rania, Max, Yikes. Ben Norton, like yeah. anyone saying that, um, the, like basically criticizing the protests. Promoting regime change, yeah. And so that was, it sucks. I just can't believe that's Yikes. him. That sucks. Well, a lot of these people flip really fast and really easily. They blow in the wind and you just got to pay attention to people who have core principles and who 
can smell fucking neocon regime change plans like before they happen. Because a lot of the times these aren't just these aren't total surprises. Like you can see this the seeding for this. You can see the signs that they're trying to do this. Um, and keep in mind all the things I just read to you happened before these protests happened in very close time period from one another. Um, so this political article came out December 17th. On December 18th, Trump puts out his national security strategy, which is mainly about Iran and North Korea. Again, very interesting timing. Only 10 days later, this is in Voice of America, so I don't know if they actually got the very first date correct, but only 10 days later, on December 28th, protests, this is from Voice of America, protests erupt in Mashhad, Iran's second largest city. Small rallies are held in smaller cities nearby. Protesters chant shout death to Rouhani, death to the the dictator. Um, On December 29th, protests spread to larger cities, including Qam, Isfahan, wait, Isfahan, Zahedan, Zahedan, Zahedan. A few people are arrested in Tehran where smaller rallies are taking place. And then on the 30th, a day later, two protesters were killed. 200 arrested, um, and then it goes on and on. So that's sort of when it started. Only 10 days after this, this very suspicious doled out what appears to be, and you know, I know people might grimace at this word, but like pre-programming to get us used to this idea that Iran is this sort of the world's biggest sponsor of terror. Been pre-prog for a long ass time. I mean, we have been basically programmed for the yeah, last 20 years been. to yep. accept this. And, and this is coming on the heels of Iran having elections in May of last year, uh, the 12th of such elections in Iran where Rouhani was reelected for a second term um, where he received 23.5 of 41 million votes counted. Um, the next closest rival, Raisi, received um, almost 16 million votes. And the reason I'm saying that is because people like to keep saying that this is a dictatorship. And yes, even though these candidates are selected and like approved by a religious like group of people, they have elections. And unlike Saudi Arabia, they have elections where people participate. Isn't that amazing? Yet they're an evil dictatorship who who needs the U.S. Uh, to help them overthrow their evil leaders. So. There was one more thing that I wanted to mention from the timeline that happened um, on New Year's Day. Uh, a Kuwaiti uh, newspaper reported that the U.S. gives Israel the go-ahead to kill a powerful Iranian general. Um, and this was something that uh, the Obama administration, again, the article sort of accuses the Obama administration of tipping off one of the Iranian generals that he was going to get assassinated by the Mossad, that the Mossad was trying to assassinate him, which again is really fascinating to me because again, if true, good on Obama for doing that, for going against the Mossad and tipping off someone <laughs> in, the, in the Iranian government. Like that's actually like, fuck the Mossad. They deserve to get fucked with. So if the U S government's going to use any leverage they have to do anything good, I would say, yeah, do it to fuck with the Mossad. And like ruin their shit. So, um, and no, I'm not an Obama apologist. I think Obama's a piece of shit. I'm just saying that why is that a bad thing that we were tipping off this Iranian general 
mm-hmm. to not get assassinated by the Mossad. But it is bizarre when you think that Ob- what, at what point did Obama decide to start doing things like that after he st- was allowing his CIA to work with um, the Mossad on Stuxnet and MEK assassinating nuclear scientists? Like that's when did that change? Did it change around the same time he decided to not arm the Ukrainian government? Yeah, probably. Why? I don't know. Maybe he he decided that he didn't want his legacy to be like as horrible. (laughs) Obama got woke halfway through his admin. (laughs) But like more like three fourths through it. Yeah. But barely woke. It's just. I was just seeing uh, not only the photo of that movie saying Iran, but also the the video that you were talking about earlier showing these mass protests that were really either pro government protests saying death to the seditioners, which is very odd. Among many other things, I don't want to trivialize or truncate any of the protests going on and try to give my dumbass analysis. Um, But again, I mean, it's so complex that you cannot really paint this as like left versus right or. You know, suffering versus totalitarian regime that we need to help. Um, just listen to Iranians who are progressive and listen to what they're saying. I was going to say that the video that you were talking about um, that really shows mass protests in Bahrain, the woman who uploaded it, who's a Bahraini mm-hmm. woman, she was very offended. She was like, this this video only got 18,000 views. She was like, it happened in 2011. She's like, all of a sudden, Americans are dumb enough to just like believe in news oh, yeah. report. And she's like, and now the video is like, 8 million views and she's like it's just I'm not happy with it she's like you guys don't care about Bahrainis rising up yeah or yeah. anything she was like you just like believe in fake news and then just watch this video of course it's just a shame well and it was also funny too there was a guy who was on Iran reporting on the protests from the ground he wasn't sympathetic to the protests and he's also not like a like a full government supporter um he just seemed like he was kind of more trying to take like a neutral position there um and he actually debunked one of the protesters killed reports where they were running a fake photo in the American press of a guy that they said had been killed in the protests. And even if they were referring to like a real man's name that was killed, the photo they were running was like of a little kid who was still alive and he got interviewed the next day. And it was like, they were like, he was kind of like laughing about the fact that his photo was being ran in American press as a dead teenager. Wow. Who was one of the protesters. So it's just, and it's, and I was talking about this on Connor's podcast. It almost doesn't matter if this stuff gets debunked, like within, even within days, because it passes what Alfred Hitchcock used to call the icebox test, or what's also now referred to as the refrigerator tests, where it refers to watching films. So if you watch a movie and while you're watching a movie, you buy the story when you're watching it and you don't question the logic of it. But then only later when you're looking in your Mm -hmm, refrigerator mm -hmm. at night, like trying to find something to eat, you have a flash of, oh, that didn't make sense in the movie. It doesn't matter because the movie still passed the test enough where you're while you were watching it, you didn't question the Mm. logic of it. So as long as like the propaganda passes through that threshold where just while it's happening, you don't question it. And you just don't think about it later. That doesn't matter if it's like just falls apart later. Oh, of course. It's That's, just like how all these fake, yeah, fake news stories. No one's going to go with the same platform and audience and say, this was false. Please yeah. disregard what I said. Of course. Only occasionally when like Richard Engel of MSNBC gets kidnapped by <laughs> reb, reb, rebels and then like finds out later it was actually, um, or no, he said it. he thought he got kidnapped by Assad forces. And then he finds out later it was rebels. Then only then do they have to be like, guess what, guys? Sorry, we lied. We didn't get kidnapped by Assad's forces. 
Um, we actually got kidnapped by rebels. They lied and wanted us to make us think we got kidnapped by Assad's forces as a provocation to get us to do regime change. I mean, he didn't say all that, but you know, that's the only time where they would like, because they were like forced to. Yeah. Um, but before we go into the history, let me just mention a few other things about the neocons, because we, we know that the neocons want regime change in Iran. And they even want us to like do an, a military assault on Iran, just like we did in Iraq, except they don't, most of them do not openly say that, and at least not in public anymore. Um, and I think the reason why is for the same reason they did the foreign policy initiative. It's like they mm-hmm. know that they have to sort of rebrand themselves and change the way they talk about these things because the American public is scared of the idea of just launching another full-scale war in another Middle Eastern country. Back they, in 2005 and 2006, they were saying real men go to Tehran. This was after the toppling of Saddam. This mm-hmm. was like the neocon slogan. Yeah. I mean, so the Foundation of Defensive Democracies is kind of like a more, a little bit more hardcore version of the foreign policy initiative. It's not as old as the Project for the New American Century, but its main vision was sort of Iranian regime change. Like that was its main plank. Um, And what's interesting is the Trump administration, who claims to be anti-neocon and the neocons claim to be anti-Trump, the Trump administration and the CIA gave exclusive dumps of the bin Laden leaks that they dumped, those leaks I was just mentioning, to the Foundation of Defensive Democracies. That's who they worked with to distribute those leaks. That's not a secret. That is actually on the official record. They doled them out to the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, a think tank dedicated to regime change in Iran. If you watch the movie Syriana, there is a think tank in the in the movie called um, something for a new Iran or something. And it's basically is like a. I think you know, I mean I think I actually read this that Robert Baer, who's the writer of Syriana. Um, was referencing Foundation for Defense of Democracy. So the think tank in the movie that's trying to do like regime change on mm-hmm. Iran is the FDD. <laughs> they probably worked with the U.S. government to like exactly. Get yeah. Oh no, the commi- committee for the liberation of Iran. I yeah, think, yeah. Is what it was called. <laughs> so uh, it's really scary shit. I was going to also just quickly mention that there's, of course, we have to look at Twitter, whether it be Bana in in Syria or you know all these different accounts or the Hasbro operations coming from Israel. But apparently, there are thousands of fake accounts that have popped up. This is very obvious at this point, but just be aware that when people are just sourcing random Twitter users for information about Iran, it's probably false. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you just can't. And also, yeah, it's like North Korea. Um, it. it, it I don't want to go too deeply into it, but like I have, I have no people who live in Iran. I mean, there's there's a lot of good reason why you cannot trust what you're hearing and reading about it. Mm-hmm. Um, even from all these people who are like vice reporters who are in Iran and stuff. I mean, a lot of these American journalists, whether they realize it or not, are basically you know they call all these people useful idiots for Russian propaganda, like Lee Camp and stuff. Well, if you're calling Lee Camp a useful idiot for Russia, then it's more than fair it's actually more accurate to call vice and ap reporters doing on the ground coverage in iran um useful idiots for like cia because like they report on shit and somehow they just like do the bidding for 
and see things through the lens of like American foreign policy regime, like pro regime change perspective. It's very strange. Um, but a little bit after these protests erupted and now they pretty much died down, as you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, John Bolton um, has been going all over Fox News and so has Newt Gingrich. Bill Crystal too, tweeted today. He was like, we're waiting, Trump. We're waiting because he quoted Trump again from back in, before there that needs first a change. tweet. Needs yep. a change. And he was like, yep. we're waiting. He was like, more specifically, the Iranian people are waiting. Yeah. As if Bill Crystal really gives a fuck about the Iranian people. Yeah. Holy shit. This man has been just advocating obliterating Iran, bombing Iran till as long as I can remember. And this person's credible to be just going around news stations and talking about diplomacy. It's shocking. He wants literal ground troop invasion of Iran yeah. and Syria. He wanted one of Ukraine and Crimea. I mean, so to have him going on MSNBC now, he was actually called out recently yeah. by a panelist saying, well, with all due respect, Bill, you don't care about the Iranian people. You you wanted to bomb the Iranian people. And he gets all flustered and says like, oh, you know, like he he acts like he does care about the Iranian people. But her again, name is Trita Parsi and you should check her interview out on Real News. The neocons are pretending like they don't want full blown regime change in Iran at, with at the point of a gun. I mean, they're pretending like they don't, but that's absolutely what they mm-hmm. want. That's what's so weird about this is it's sort of revealing the fact that they are sort of pretending like they don't want this. But Bill Crystal well, is he's going back to that Trump tweet. And how, about and how disturbing is it that he's like, we're waiting, Donald, like we're all waiting to see what you're going to do. Yeah, like, he, we're we're going to support you, man. Yeah. So are you going to make a move? So at the same time, you have these neocon out, um, like resistance figures like from Bill Crystal pretending like. They don't like Trump, but then egging him on with these Iranian, you know, plat, uh, stances. We know that everyone's going to support Trump once he does do something like this. Yeah. You don't think Robert Kagan, Fred Kagan, Kim Kagan are all going to be invited into the Pentagon to help him th- th- like write up Iranian bombing yeah. plans Yeah. or like strategic war plans? Of course they are. Yeah. What do you think he's going to rely on John Bolton to write up the actual like strategy? No, well, come on. John Bolton is in an interesting position because he appears to be not just whispering in the president's ear right now, along with Newt Gingrich, who I'm going to go into a little bit, which is very bizarre, but John Bolton is actually acting as a mouthpiece for sort of the neocon cowboy diplomacy aspect of Trump's foreign policy. He keeps going on Fox News almost daily to talk about regime change in Iran. Um, This is what he said on January 4th. He said, and it's one reason, frankly, I think the president needs to abrogate this new Iran nuclear deal and go even further than he's gone rhetorically, given these demonstrations, supporting the demonstrators. Unlike Obama, <laughs> we need to bring that regime down, he said, January 4th, Jesus only Christ. a few days I ago. John Bolton is just on TV. Um, and it's <clears throat> it's really, really dangerous because you also have someone like Newt Gingrich, who I assumed um, was not in the administration at all. Right. Um, Trump, in the middle of a crazy tweet storm, the day this Michael Wolf book news hit, um, he, a lot of people didn't respond to this tweet that he wrote, um, but he said, tune in to Hannity tonight at nine o'clock. And, you know, people were just paying attention to his other tweets because they were way crazier. The bigger button tweet about North Korea yeah, yeah, was yeah. in the middle of that. I can understand why people weren't paying attention to it, but... So I looked at what Sean Hannity was doing at nine o'clock and he was having on Newt Gingrich to do like a 20 minute long interview. 
Um, and I was like, wow, that's weird. So is Whoa. Trump telling people to watch Hannity to watch this new Gingrich interview? Well, it makes a little bit more sense when it goes back to the document yeah. that you're about to talk about. So I watched it, a little bit of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. And it was all about the Iranian people and how we should support them to overthrow their government. And it was just, it just, again, seemed like Newt Gingrich was speaking on behalf of the president of the United States. So is this how Trump is, is Trump yeah. not using administration officials? Is he similar to the Bush administration using people on the outside to just spread his propaganda? Sort of how the Bush administration used people like Bill Kristol to spread propaganda on the outside? I mean, well, I think it's pretty clear. He like directly said, watch my friend. This is who I'm talking to. Yeah. Watch what he says. Pretty much. Yeah. And this is the guy in the last podcast about North Korea when we were asking the audience to tell us if they could help us find out who wrote that national security document about North Korea and Iran. Guess what? Well, yeah, apparently Newt Gingrich was one of the authors, um, according to some sources. Is he like involved in a think tank right now or is he just acting? Not that I'm aware of. He's just uh, he just goes to think tanks and talks (laughs) at them. But apparently it was written by General McMaster, Newt Gingrich Dina Powell, Deputy National Security Advisor, and Nadia Shadlow. Um, and just really quickly about those other two people. I mean, they basically, one of the stories is that Mika Brzezinski actually played a key role in getting this person, Dina Powell, um, to be in the Trump administration by taking her to Trump Tower. She was a good friend of hers. Was that before um, or after her face was bleeding? I don't know. But in 2003, she was actually in the Bush administration as assistant to the president, presidential personnel, a senior staff member at the White House. She joined the State Department in 2005, left in 2007, and then in 2007 joined to be managing director of Goldman Sachs and oh, later great. became president. Good. And then in 2017 was named to the post of deputy deputy national security advisor for, for strategy. Swamp drained. Um, in Trump's little national security circle with McMaster. Um, and McMaster's not surprising. Newt Gingrich surprised me as an author. That definitely surprised me. Yeah. I mean, and this other person, Shadlow is writing like neocon propaganda books and she's part of neocon think tanks. Um, and it's, uh, and she's just another weird, obscure sort of neocon foreign policymaker that I've never really heard of before this. But yeah, having Newt Gingrich as being one of the authors on this. And then at the same time as he's appearing on this, um, Hannity program where Trump is telling us to tune in is very strange. Um, And what's also kind of alarming is that this should be, there should be an investigative reporter, even for like a generic outlet reporting on this right now. And it's kind of going under the radar that Newt Gingrich seems to be a mouthpiece for the administration because I would describe not, not uh, I wouldn't describe him as a neocon necessarily, but he was heavily involved in spreading anthrax and Iraq roar propaganda um, in 2003, and you could read more about that in a Mint Press News article I did called uh, Trump is Refilling the Swamp with Bush-era Crazies. Let's talk about the MEK really quickly. The Mujahideen al-Khalq is what their official name is. My brother explained a little bit about who they are. I mean, this is an exiled opposition group that was overthrown in the Islamic Revolution of 1979. So, They were deemed a terrorist group. They still are considered a terrorist group. After the 2009 Green protest, Green Movement protest in Iran, 
several agents were arrested that were in possession of weapons. And this is going on the heels of MEK agents, like my brother said, carrying out several assassinations of nuclear scientists inside the country. So knowing this, how does the MEK have an office front in Washington, D.C.? Very interesting, right? So this militant group carried out the string of terrorist attacks. They bombed 10 buildings. They also assassinated six American citizens. The assassination of nuclear scientists was back in 2012. This was in coordination with Mossad, um, who again appears to be the lead financer of the group. So CIA working with Israeli intelligence to finance a Iranian terrorist group that has assassinated dozens of people, bombed buildings, etc., they have an office front in D.C. How is that possible? Well, it just all comes back to the funding. When you look at like how Congress people and senators are speaking at like MEK fundraisers, it gets a little weird. So that's when it's really strange when uh, you see the amount of money being funneled to actual elected representatives on behalf of the MEK to speak for them. And they actually successfully remove themselves from the terror list. Um, I forgot to mention that in 1981, they also bombed the headquarters of the Islamic Republican Party that killed 73 Iranian officials. Um, and, and, and I totally forgot about this. George Bush, back when he was saying that Saddam financed terrorism. Do you remember that? No. He actually, part of like the whole like bizarre convoluted justification to invade Iraq. And I know it switched several times, but one point that he made, he had the audacity to actually claim that Saddam supported international terrorism with the MEK. Huh. I actually pointed to Saddam's support for the MEK for their role in deaths of Americans. Wow. Very bizarre. So they've spent millions of dollars to PR groups, influential, like to influence politicians speaking on their behalf. This includes, um, Probably, I feel like Newt Gingrich, for some reason, I, I feel like his name is coming up when I'm thinking back about on MEK. MEK. Well, yeah. if you go down to the, I put somewhere on the notes a list of American politicians oh, great. who have been basically been paid by the MEK. We know Howard, also. I just know Howard Dean and John McCain are like the two big ones. Yeah, hold on. Let me, we'll keep talking and I'll so find it. So Howard Dean and John McCain have basically lobbied ferociously for the the group to be delisted, which they eventually were. And this is after accepting tens of thousands of dollars in political bribes to do so. I even confronted Howard Dean on breaking the set about it. And he was like, they're not a terrorist group. He's like, they're not a terrorist group. Um, and especially keep in mind, keep in mind also that we have jailed like poor Palestinian guys who are running like a totally legit charity called the Holy Land Foundation. They're like in prison for life because we somehow claim that they're funneling dollars to support terrorism in Gaza. Uh -huh. So it just it's just stunning. It's stunning so when you look up. at something like that. People who are spending their life in prison for literally donating to like help people survive in Gaza compared to an actual terrorist organization that killed over 100 people who are paying elected representatives to promote them. Um, they worked with 100 representatives to delist them. And they are also responsible, working hand in glove with U.S. journalists and stuff to report these outright falsehoods and exaggerations about Iran's nuclear program. Again, they don't even have a weapons program. Wait a second, when we wait. talk about their nuclear program, we're talking about their actual like nuclear energy. Yeah. I just wanted to interject really quick that there's an article in um, The Atlantic from July 
2012, which says, here's the video of Newt Gingrich bowing to the leader of mm. an Iranian terrorist group. There you go. The former Speaker of the House traveled to Paris last week to speak to an Iranian exile group called the MIK, led by Maram Rajavi, who also heads... Or no, I'm sorry. He spoke to another group led by the same person who leads the MEK. <laughs> so he was paid by the person who leads the MEK to speak for another group. Um, and then he also has been paid by the MEK before um, to speak. And he's been like palling around with them for years and years. I mean, if you look up Newt Gingrich and MEK on Google, you'll find dozens and dozens of articles. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing that this group is legitimized, has an office front, and is just active still. Um, and and honestly, under international law, I think they are considered a terrorist group still, which would be like totally illegal for our representatives to be taking money for them. But again, who's going to hold the U.S. government accountable in terms of international law? And that's the whole political article's bent about why it's bad that Obama was looking the other way with Hezbollah doing that stuff because we have designated them as a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if they're still on, the, I think they are still designated yes. as one. So the fact that the Obama administration was sort of going above the DEA and making sure that the DEA couldn't you know, do anything and had their hands tied about them kind of goes along with what you're saying. It's like, this shows you basically how big and how vast and how complex the sort of U.S. deep state sort of, you know, intelligence networks, the messiness that it, that, it, that it is because we've worked with tons of people who we've been enemies with, you know, like we work with groups that kill people like our allies or that sometimes kill us or we try to bribe them or, you know, do drug deals to them or whatever. Like we do fucking weird ass, like shady when shit. When blowback yeah. happens, we're like, it's why just, do they hate our freedoms? It's just such a fucking mess the way that we conduct business in this this weird, murky sort of world of like black ops. And Yeah, it's like how many like groups like the MEK are we like working with actively oh God, in these probably, places yeah. in the world? So many. I mean, we know just in Cuba alone, it's surreal when you see how many little operations to try to foment discord or whatever like the fake twitter zun zunio remember that fake twitter campaign and they also infiltrated the underground hip-hop scene in cuba and tried to you know just like radicalize like cuban hip-hop artists against castro it's just just unbelievable and a fake hiv program similarly to the vaccination program in pakistan to catch bin laden they also did like a fake HIV program in Cuba. So it's like what? So the USAID, all this hundreds of millions of dollars going to the USAID into these covert programs. It's like, isn't that kind of counterintuitive? Like I would not want, I would not trust to do anything that in terms of aid, HIV, anything that has to do like scientific research or disease control if it has to do with the U.S. intelligence services. It just totally discredits the whole operation. <laughs> it's like not even just the CIA. You're using all of the, you know, the National Endowment for Democracy and all these groups that my brother's talking about alongside like an actual aid program. Well, that's the, pub to, that's like the public change. version of what we're able to Crazy. see of it. It's like they have that component of it. And then there's obviously stuff happening like completely in secret yeah. that's done in tandem or once a situation ignites, they jump in and, util and, you know, take advantage of it. I mean, there's just so many ways that this could be done that this is why I was having arguments with all these people, you know, a lot of them from the left claiming that I was I was morally bankrupt for not just automatically supporting all the protests and instead worrying about the danger of the U.S. 
being able to conduct psyops or even Israel being able to conduct psyops to overthrow the Iranian government there. I mean, well, they should talk to Iranians then because I mean, they it, give the whole coup <laughs> and overthrow of their democratically elected leader about 50 years ago as their main reason why they distrust American and British but Abby, governments. This is the weird thing that somehow a lot of people on the left have been able to be brainwashed into thinking that somehow the U.S. government was way more competent 50 years ago and that the CIA is no longer capable of the same type of like cleverness that they used to be able to get Don't away with. Don't they get with. that it's just morphed, that we've just become smarter? It's, it's like so now we're weird. not No, we're incompetent now. Leaders. We're incompetent now. That's the new, I feel like that is sort of the new narrative well, then they that bought people it. believe. I agree. <laughs> and it, I feel like that in and of itself is a psyop to be like, oh, we used to be this fucking crazy ass, like being able to carry out anything. But then it's like, you, you see these new narratives doled out where it seems like it's meant to influence like younger millennial liberals and like, it's like Castro's a fucking badass because he was able to survive. Like the CIA was like tried to kill him like 120 times. He's a fucking badass for surviving. That means like the CIA is actually like incompetent. That's that's the weird thing. It's yeah. like, well, not really. I mean, that's just, I mean, I don't know what that that means they're incompetent. Just means that they thought of or planned out 120 different times different things to kill yeah, him with and they Castro just didn't was, actually put any of them into motion. Castro was too smart where he yeah. never got close to like American Yeah, they just probably just gamed out spies. a ton of scenarios because they game a ton of shit out. I mean... But yeah, there are these conflicting narratives where it's like, is the CIA incompetent or is it not? Um, we're just a big bumbling bureaucracy that can't get anything done but at the same time we've somehow just implemented like total hegemony around the entire planet and are still doing so. Mm -hmm. So let's just briefly go over what the U.S. has done to Iran. I mean, back in 1949, yeah. obviously, when World War II ended, Iran became more of a target. And when 1953 rolled around, they elected democratically uh, a socialist leader, a progressive leader who wanted to basically nationalize their oil industry. We hear this time and again. This is, you know, from the Congo to Iran. The U.S. goes in there and overthrows a democratically elected leader and basically sets the country on a really, really dark path for the next couple decades where they had the Shah, mm -hmm. an autocratic, crazy fucking ruler that basically just had a secret police that was funded by U.S. intelligence, crushed all political opposition, assassinated political opponents, thousands of people were arrested. Um, and that's where Ayatollah Khomeini comes in, who was sent out of the country. He was exiled for 14 years. So he continued to like galvanize support outside of Iran. And so people like really need to understand, you know, why do they have this like theocratic leadership? It's like, well, you have to look back at what Iran was 60 years ago and why it's progressing and what it is today. It didn't happen in a fucking vacuum. Like all of these things, what, what's Saudi Arabia's excuse? Like Iran has this form of government because of what the U.S. did they were way more fucking progressive 60 years ago. Yeah, and it's also like, is it really our place to judge and yeah, act exactly. like we're morally no, exactly. superior because we we have more rights for women I'm just and stuff? Saying, I mean, I'm just I know. saying that like, no, I know you're not imagine saying that. where Iran would be today if we didn't do this. Oh, I know. I mean, that, that of course. But it's like, I feel like too many people also utilize that framing to sort of pivot or just sort of still put ourselves on this pedestal. You know? Of course. And it's like, if you really want to boil it down, it's like Iran is still morally superior to us in a lot of in a lot of ways because they don't fucking murder tons of people all around the world. Like they do have really harsh prison um and incarceration we rates, just more. like us. And we we still have more. It's like us, China and Iran, like are way higher than all, a lot of other countries. 
And what people don't understand also is the hostage situation took place at the same embassy that was used to orchestrate the coup against Mossadegh in 1953. That's a very symbolic thing, um, a direct act against U.S. interests there. And and if you don't think that we're, you know, still upset about that incident and we still hold a grudge as far as like a government against Iran for doing that, then you'd be naive. Like we don't forgive shit like that. The, just the fact that that happened and they took our hostages, you know, um, it's we are always going to we want to take revenge on them for that. That's my opinion on that. I mean, like, I just don't think and I think that the fact that the Obama administration actually did try to make some sort of peace accord with Iran was hugely against the D.C. Right. consensus. It was like. I'm actually shocked that they even went through in the first place. Me too. Um, and I'm not, and I, you know, there's probably some bad things about the deal. Like I, I actually don't know too much about it, but I do know that there is, does seem to be an alignment of, this is actually an interesting example of an alignment, distinct alignment between the alt-right narratives, the sort of, you know, right-wing Breitbart, gateway pundit, drudge, um, Infowars people and the neocon think tanks where they're trying to put out propaganda, making it seem as if the Iranian deal was terrible, it was dangerous, and it's actually going to put Iran on the fast track to a nuclear weapon now. And that they also got bribed and they were made even more corrupt by our bribe money to oppress their people even more. And those two narratives are being pushed out on both the sort of neocon DC mm-hmm. foreign policy intellectual circuit and through the alt-right echo chamber. Obviously, if it wasn't obvious enough of what I just said about the nationalization of oil, obviously the coup was to secure the oil interests in Iran for American interests. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So for the next 26 years, um, the, Iran- the Iranian monarchy safeguarded the West's oil interests and mm-hmm. 60% of the denationalized oil industry from the Shah went to American firms, mm-hmm. 60%. And after the hostage crisis, it's important to understand that one year later um, was the Iran-Iraq war. This is where Iraq invaded Iran. And, you know, we even see kind of propaganda bleeding today through things like hypernormalization of myths, these bizarre myths about Iranian suicide bombings, like in, in this time period. Yeah. I was really disappointed watching a hypernormalization where... It seemed as if Adam Curtis was trying to lay out this oversimplified theory that Assad's father, that Bashar al-Assad, that his father before him, who used to rule Syria, was basically the godfather of this idea of doing Islamic terrorism to start like proxy wars or proxy provocations of other countries, um, which I just find simply unbelievable on its face, just based on what I know about the history of suicide bombings the history of sort of you know using those kinds of militia forces for war and things like that because to me what the sort of framing that he was playing from within was sort of making a huge distinction between this idea of like a suicide bomber or a martyr and like a militia fighter who was like religiously indoctrinated in some way and i don't think you can make and to me it's almost like there's a gradient there's a spectrum it's like a lot of people who just fight as militia members who are, you know, Islamic or whatever, they they will call themselves martyrs who aren't suicide bombers. And 
So there's a, it's just, it was actually really irritating to watch this movie because not only is he saying that Bashar al-Assad's father invented this idea, he's also saying that Iran, during the Iran-Iraq war, launched the most spectacular suicide attack in history next that to 9-11. That wasn't a suicide attack at all. Yeah, <laughs> next to 9-11 by sending busfuls of teenage martyrs in Iran, Islamic martyrs, to go and just run into the front lines of like a battle that they knew that they were just going to immediately die into without like any weapons. Apparently. Such a bullshit narrative. The whole yeah, like wearing explosives, like bringing like like grenades or something. That's so dumb. So, but, but like you said, you couldn't even find any validation. Well, the, interestingly, I tried to search out proof of that. Like, where did Adam Curtis read that from? And the only sources I could find were neocon think tanks, neocon foreign policy writers, and imams like weird like seemingly fantastical stories about these events that were just like obscure little sermons that they would read about these martyrs in the Iran-Iraq war doing this thing almost like to brag for their own propaganda purposes so so to the fact so the fact that um Adam Curtis had used this in a movie as like a serious plank in the movie and also show like video footage of like Iranians being like bussed to the battlefield to like blow themselves up as I thought was really odd and really Sam Harrison kind of dumb and like yeah he's come, of the he's barrel come a long way bullshit. since yeah, power I didn't nightmares. appreciate it dude let me I wanted to wrap this up just by quoting Mazda Majidi this guy because I couldn't have said this any better um, he says the main task of revolutionaries and progressives in the US is not to just simply sit back and analyze developments in Iran or anywhere else our task is to do what we can to stop the vast military that Trump boasts of from infl- inflicting more death and destruction on the people around the world. Our task is to understand and teach others that the U.S. imperialist establishment by its very nature can never be an ally to the forces of revolution and progress. And that's our place. Our place is not to pop up as like experts in any region of the world and, and dictate what the fuck people should do. Or be like just a, a empire babies. Our job is to end the empire. So I encourage everyone to just take a step back and and critically analyze, like we always say, critically analyze the media, become media literate, but also just understand your place in all of these conflicts and understand that your best bet to stop the horrors going on around the world and to help these people who are marginalized and oppressed in other countries is to stop your government. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, and for all those people out there, um, who think Trump is anti-interventionist or who think that Trump is anti-war or who think that Trump doesn't want to get us involved in regime change. Let me just read you really quickly before we sign off here some actual stats just to show you how false that is. Um, since Trump got into office, he has doubled the amount of munitions dropped per month in Afghanistan um, from what was sort of the maximum rate that Obama was doing at 200 per month Trump has doubled them to 400 per month, and he's even gone over 600 per month um, in late 2017. And this is just in Afghanistan alone. And I'm going to keep reading you some stats here. Um, Munitions uh, dropped in Iraq and Syria um, have gone from around 3,000 during the Obama administration, the last two uh, years of the Obama administration, from uh, to around 5,000 per month under the Trump administration in the last year. Um, U.S. boots on the ground in Iraq. Um, when Obama left office, it was around 5,000. Since Trump's taken office, um, it is climbing to 10,000. 
Um, so it's gone to about seven thousand eight, and right now it's around nine or eight or nine thousand. Uh, Trump has almost doubled the amount of troops in Iraq and ground troops in Iraq. Um, U.S. boots on the ground in Syria. Um, there was under a thousand when Obama left office, um, and Trump has actually taken it to nearly two thousand um, so far. Um, in Somalia, uh, when Obama left office, and I hope people listening to this do not think that I'm saying when Obama left office, this was great that he was doing any of this shit. It was fucking horrible. I see them as war crimes. I think Obama is a murderer. However, to suggest that Trump is an anti-interventionist or that Trump is not a fucking neocon hawk who's murdering more people than Obama is just a fantasy. He simply, he is, he's more hawkish than Obama. Um, he is, uh, increased air power in Somalia, uh, strikes per year um, when Obama left office it was around 15 so far Trump has launched over 30 strikes in Somalia US boots on the ground in Somalia um, have actually uh, gone up since Trump has taken office but apparently there was over 500 in office when Obama was still sorry there's over 500 troops in Somalia when Obama was still in office in 2005 but he lowered them to a little over a or under a hundred. Trump brought the level back to about 300 in Somalia. Um, in Yemen, confirmed airstrikes in Yemen. And just really quickly, I want to say that I am reading this from a Vice article. Um, and no, the Vice article is actually pretty, is not good. It's a sh actually a really shitty article because it, guess what? It opens with a fucking quote, unchallenged, from the Foundation for Defense of Democracies at the beginning without the author saying this is a fucking neocon think tank. But anyways, all these stats are actually accurate and they check out. Um, U.S. air power in Yemen confirmed airstrikes by year. When Obama left office, it was a little around 25 airstrikes per year. Since Obama has gotten into office, he has launched over 125 airstrikes in Yemen. And we keep talking about how Saudi Arabia is want launching this war against Yemen, but we also not just are funding the war through providing Saudi Arabia with all these weapons, but we've also um, been bombing them ourselves. 125 airstrikes in 2017 just against Yemen. So that's the, just an example of how dangerous this situation is, and how if Trump is already sort of ramping up the rhetoric to you know, get us onto a war footing with Iran um, and North Korea while all these other sort of ramp ups are happening in terms of the actual military bombardments and aggression. Um, we really need to take these rhetorical ramp ups very, very seriously. I think more seriously than people have been taking them. Um, and we, we, everybody, including his supporters, including libertarians, including people who lean towards the right. If you really care about anti-intervention and, and anti-imperialism, you really need to stop counting on Trump to be your guy. It should be blatantly obvious at this point that he is not your guy in that regard anymore. It's completely phony. Um, it, he does not give a fuck about anti-war. And I, mean, in I fact, just don't b believe that anyone really follows him who is remotely anti-war anymore. There's no way. Well, you mean no they're sinking? They're just pretending to yeah. be anti-war, yeah. They yeah. Just use Selectively, these stupid yeah. Tropes that are like yeah. Obama kills kids. Even some of our commenters who are like claiming, like seemingly like anti-war, like they are still thinking we should go to war, like that yeah. we that 
Oh, North, Korea. North Korea deserves yeah. to be attacked. Yeah, yeah. It's but, like, dude, but they, but they moron, shot a missile. Man. It's like, wait, I'm sorry, what? Did you fucking listen to the podcast? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, well, there might still be some Trump people who like literally don't read news about how Trump is ramping up all the death and destruction around the world. I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe that someone who really does care about and be, that. And be careful when it comes to protests that are happening in places like Iran or other countries like that that we want to take out and that we've wanted to do regime change and just be really careful what kind of information you spread around um, what kind of stuff you look at don't be ashamed of questioning if we should rally on you know what could potentially be a psyop i mean don't be ashamed of questioning what's actually happening yeah and, and by saying that the media is a psyop is not saying that there's not legitimate grievances in iran or that the protests are not yeah legitimate. it's not an it's either just or thing the media and, propaganda that we're and seeing. also what better time to do a psyop than to piggyback on legitimate grievances yeah. that's what we know that the u.s does with like rferl and and their media channels is they talk about corruption in other governments as and then like once things get to a boil then they can sort of possibly tip the balance you know by talking about legitimate grievances sometimes. No, I'm not saying that protesters are crisis actors or fucking actors or AstroTurf, like paid pro Soros protesters. Hell no, I'm not saying that. Um, for all I know, they could all be legitimate protesters. That doesn't mean that parts of this aren't a PSYOP and that it's not going to be used for some kind of regime change propaganda PSYOP. So just be careful. I was on an anarchist mailing list back in, say, 2007, maybe 2008. I'm trying to remember when the Green Revolution happened. I think it was 2008. Um, and people on there, you know, generally very savvy, very distrustful of government, very left-leaning. Um, and they were passing around the writings of Andrew Sullivan, who was basically advocating for regime change in Iran at the time, and one of the main prolific writers at the time about the Green Revolution. And it was spreading to all these like lefty circles. And the fact that it even spread to this anarchist mailing list I was on was like very alarming to me at the time. And I remember even back then being like really shocked by it and thinking, why would they be trusting this guy? You know, like I know that this guy is a right winger. Do they know that he is? Do they know that he's a stealth neocon? Kind of like Hitchens worshiping little like, you know, phony liberal. I don't know. But it got it sort of spread around, and um, you know, it only takes a few writers, you know, to really cause a lot of damage in terms of polluting sort of the way that leftists or people on the left think about these things. And another one that's ha doing it right now is, is Shane Bauer. Um, I see him writing Spook stuff. Fest. Yeah, I see see him writing stuff about why we should support the protests and how it's crazy tinfoil hat bullshit to talk about how the U.S. might be meddling in it. And it's like, of all times to think that we have Trump in power, you know, who's willing to do some really crazy shit. So at, at this point to be saying it's a conspiracy theory to suggest that Trump's government is, is meddling in these protests, like that's really weird to me. Like a lot of these resistance figures were saying that Trump might launch his own 9-11. That's how much they thought he was Hitler a year ago. And now they're saying that it's a conspiracy theory to suggest it's that the so Trump administration wouldn't be meddling? Fucking, yeah, I know that Shane like, Bauer was like an Iranian prison because he was just, quote unquote, caught hiking on the mountains of Iran. <laughs> but I mean, it just is a little strange that all these people just become supporters of every protest in the world. It's like, where are you on Libya? Like all these people who are cheering on the no fly zone in Libya, like 
Where are they today? Yeah. I mean, these things have fucking consequences, dude. It's like the Jacobin line where they're like, no, like we've never seen pure socialism. So therefore we're just going to like fucking parrot like victims of communism talking points and say like all socialist attempts have been like totalitarian nightmares and we're just going to advocate for some third rail nonsense that doesn't fucking exist. So it's either you stand for actual marginalized and oppressed people or you don't. It's either you stand against empire and imperialism or you don't. Otherwise, what are you actually saying and doing? Who are you advocating for other than your own academic standing or whatever? Like you you said this online, like, well, I, I was there. I criticized Assad. I can't say I was an Assad apologist. It's like, dude, no one yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. cares. Like blood and bones and dust. No one's going to care what you said on Twitter about Assad. Um, once millions of people are dead. So that's all I have to say. Well said. So well, anyway, uh, donate to me Roots Radio on Patreon. Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media roots radio. Um, we have reached our goal of uh, $500 per episode. That means we will be releasing four episodes per month. Bear with us a little bit because at first we are not going to be releasing them in terms of a consistent weekly release schedule, we're still trying to figure out um, the best way to do that, what day we're, we're going to be able to do that on. But for now, expect four episodes per month. The, um, you might get like two episodes within the same week. You expect might go, us. Yeah, it might go two whole weeks without any episodes, but you will get four episodes in the month of January. QAnon, check them out. JK, do not check that motherfucker out. He's like a weird hoaxer that all these like all right people have like thought as like the ultimate Pied Piper is really bizarre shit. Listen to our other podcast to hear about QAnon. It's hilarious. Um, that's it. Peace and out, uh, that's it. And uh, just you know, be careful out there. Don't um, don't fall prey to this. Uh, you know, support human rights in in Iran. Um, um, sort of wag the dog nonsense. I mean, it's 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 another conduit for regime change and. Not saying don't support human rights, um, but it's not an either-or situation, and don't let people frame it that way when you're debating it with them. We um, have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Peace Talk out. Talk to you soon, Lee.